Morning, everyone. I've got a few things I need to announce first. Um, up here in the front foyer is a table. It's the lost and found table. There are lots of coats and dishes and other things. They are not going to be out next week, which means go and check them out today. If it's yours, please take it. If it fits you, have at it. Okay? Um, we do not want to have that here, but it's been a lot of stuff for a long time. Also, um, I've always heard that, you know, a lot of teenagers don't pay attention during the sermon and they're really glassy-eyed. Well, today I found proof otherwise. Alec turned around and he says, where's the U version? Which is on the Bible app and you can check out and follow the sermon and all that. And apparently I didn't do it. So he was on top of it. I was not. But we have these really neat things. It's a new invention, I think, for many people. It's called paper. And it's in the bulletin. You can follow along that way. Okay, so just do it that way. Um, and then junior church, you are dismissed. Four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed to walk. As they're doing that, I, I just want to see how many of you like April Fool's Day. Okay. You know, I really, whoa, there we go. Yeah, it's Rod's birthday. He, as Jen said, he's been a fool his whole life. Do you know I don't really like April Fool's? I feel like I just followed a 31-day march. Some of you don't get it. Okay, so, what if? How many of you ever played the what if game? You know, what if you won a million dollars? Or what if you lost your job? Uh, what if you got the promotion? What if you were born on April Fool's Day? So, what if has a lot of different things. Sometimes we get into the, what if they left you? What if they don't love you? There are lots of what-ifs we can think of. Some of them are small and some are insignificant. Some are very big. They are life-changing. How many of you have heard of one of the great Reformation leaders, uh, Martin Luther? Okay. It is not Martin Luther King, just so you know. Yeah. This is Martin Luther, a German. He suffered from huge bouts of depression. I don't know if you knew that. He, he was very depressed. For days, he'd have a hard time functioning. Um, he tried lots of things to try and get himself to get out of this slump and, and all these things. And, uh, there's a story that one day his wife was helping him at breakfast. She came down completely dressed in black, even had a black veil on everything. And he says, what, what are you doing? She said, I'm mourning. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean you're mourning? She said, well, I'm mourning. Well, who died? And she looked right at him in the face and said, God did. Well, you know better than that, he said. You know God did not just die. He's, he's alive, so why are you dressed in black? And she said, well, Martin, you're living as if God has died. And I thought I could get your attention by maybe showing you that he isn't dead. He's risen from the dead. He is alive, and you need to start living like it. Oh, that's a good woman right there. When I read this, the first thing I thought was another preacher who has to struggle and deal with depression. That, that just connected. I was like, good. It's not just me. Even preachers get, here's the other thing, even preachers get in-your-face messages once in a while. It's not just me. I get them too. Like Martin Luther there. 
What she was doing that day was trying to not prove the resurrection, but get him to live according to the fact of it. She was trying to pretend it hadn't happened and then make him choose. Either live in the, the fact that he is alive, that Jesus is alive, or go on living this other way. And that's what Paul is going to do today. We're going to see this in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, open up your U version, 1 Corinthians 15, or you can check it out in the paper version, which is called the Bible. In this chapter, Paul talks about what it would be like if the resurrection never happened. What if Christ never rose from the dead? And I think this is very important as we look at Palm Sunday. This triumphal entry as we were looking at this. And how does this make an impact, not just on us back then, the the believers back then, but us today and for tomorrow. Paul uses a word six times in nine verses. He uses the word if. And as uh, Walter said earlier, if it's repeated, it's important. So what if Christ had not been resurrected from the grave? Just suppose for a moment that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is untrue. What if the women who went to the tomb that first Easter Sunday found the stone was still in place? The soldiers were still marching up and down in front of the tomb. What if nothing had changed? What if the soldiers rolled the tomb away and they shown him, shown them the body of Jesus? What if they went to anoint his body and... What if these women had to live by the memory of those cold, dead eyes? The broken, bloody, pale body of Jesus. What if Jesus hadn't come back from the grave? In these these verses, we're going to look at what it would truly mean for us. And Paul poses this question, what if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead? What then? What are the implications? And in these few verses, he's going to lay out a few tragedies that are true for us if Easter, if Jesus is not risen from the grave. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, starting verse 12. Paul says, but then tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been risen either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And and we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Let's pray real quick. God, we come before you. And Lord, as we look into your word, as we come to this passage, God, I ask that you would help us to see the truth of what your servant Paul is telling us. Help us to hold the the weight of this what if so that we can see the true freedom of your truth. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. In this passage, I I think there are several points that could be made. The first one that jumps out to me is verse 14. 
Uh, verse 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. What if Christ did not raise from the grave? rise from the grave? Well, Paul's playing the what-if game. And if Jesus did not rise from the grave, then preaching is useless. It's foolish. That, that really got my attention. I don't want to be a foolish person up on this day. I can do that other places, and you've all seen that. But up here, doing this task, I don't want anything to be foolish in Christ. I want it to be authentic. I want it to be real. I want it to be powerful. And if Christ is not risen from the grave, then this is dumb. This is a waste of time. It's empty. If there is no resurrection, then there's no reason to preach. Paul says, if you took away every passage of the New Testament that referred to the resurrection, what you're left with is simply a collection of writings so mutilated you can't make any sense of it. That's really what he's saying. Without the resurrection, there is no foundation. It's our theme, right, for the whole year, foundation. And without the resurrection, there's no foundation to the gospel. The resurrection is a basic truth of the gospel. I know the death of Jesus is crucial and critical. That's why we celebrate it on Good Friday. But if the death of Christ is all they, there is, then Friday is not good. There is nothing to celebrate. We can celebrate Good Friday because we know that's not the end. We can celebrate the death because we know on Sunday Jesus came back to life. That is the resurrection hope, that he came out of the grave. That's why Easter is so important. So if Easter is not real, there is no Good Friday. Now some people will argue, well, I don't get an alt to that. The resurrection is just part of Jesus' story. And if I don't happen to believe in that, that doesn't mean the rest of it goes away, they'll say. I've heard people say, Jesus did a lot of good things. He said a lot of good things. He did a lot of miracles. So why can't I enjoy them and not have to deal with the resurrection? Like the Sermon on the Mount. It was wonderful. I, I like all that stuff. I'm just not really big on believing in the resurrection. Well, I want to tell anybody who may think that right now, right now, that is not an option. If you take all the other things about Christ and you take the resurrection away from it, they won't work. It cannot stand together. Both his words, his teachings, you put them all together, and it has to hinge on the fact that he is the Messiah. You take Christ and you put him back in the tomb somewhere in Palestine, you might as well throw the rest of the Bible away. Because then he is no different than any other person. And again, why are we here? If Jesus is just another guy, you are wasting your time right now. If he is still in the tomb someplace, what he did and what he said on this earth are not just of no value, they are blatant lies. He said he would forgive your sins. Well, if he can't come back from the grave... He can't forgive your sins. He said he is of God. He is the Son of the Most High. And if he can't beat a physical death, how in the world can he help me from a spiritual death? When Christ came out of the grave, he proved all that he said, all that he did, was not only true, but a pointing to the resurrection. 
He proved that he did it on the cross to take our sins away is sufficient. He proved that he is God. And God answered from heaven by allowing him, calling him back to death. So what Paul's first what if here, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching, our teaching is empty. We don't want empty churches, do we? Remember, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about us. If Christ is not risen, then that means the Son of the living God, the creator of the universe, could be killed forever by a hammer and some nails. And if that's true, that means Jesus is imprisoned by the grave, bound by an embalmer's cloth, until time shall be no more. That means a stone can keep Jesus in. And that is not the gospel of God. That is some liberal message fostered, fostered by those who have determined not to believe in Christ. For over 20 years, I have been preaching the gospel, preaching and teaching in some way. It, 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 I know it is what God has called me to do. And I have to tell you, I love preaching more than all the other stuff I get to do. But if Jesus Christ did not come back from the grave, there is no reason for me to preach. If I did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I would resign my job right now because my job would be useless and empty. I would never preach again. For the only thing I have to offer anybody from this pulpit, from the Word of God, is the message of hope in the risen Christ. Paul is teaching us the absolute priority of the resurrection. You cannot have faith in Christ without the truth of the resurrection. If Christ is not risen from the dead, the gospel has no meaning. So anybody, if you are here thinking, well, I just don't know if that's true, but I still believe in Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in the idea and this is the dangerous road, and I don't want you to feel like I'm kicking you right here, but demons believe in Jesus. They believe in Him. They know who He is, and they are still bound to hell. It's because they don't have the hope of the resurrection that we do. There is no reason to preach or teach if we have no hope to offer the world. We don't get hope in the church from... VBS. We don't get hope in the church from the extravaganza, which is this Saturday, and we still need people to help sign up, and we got egg filling tomorrow night, just so you know. Okay. We don't get hope from worship services or preaching. We don't get hope from people talking. We get hope from the resurrection of Jesus. That's where our hope is, because we don't die with our sins and stay in the grave. We get to come back out and go to heaven and be perfect with God. That's where our hope is. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he is still in the tomb, then go home right now. Because there's nothing else to look forward to. Look again at 14 and then down to 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Then he repeats it. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are guilty of your sins. Right here, Paul tells us if there is no resurrection, there is no such thing as personal faith in God. If you do not believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, then you have no faith. That's what Paul just said. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, your faith is useless. That's the next blank. Useless. 
And if it's useless, we still carry all of our own sins on ourselves. The crucifixion of Christ reminds us that we only have two choices in life. Either Christ bears our sins, our sins, on his body on the cross, or we bear our sins ourselves. Those are your only options. It's not an option to be trying to be good enough, because good enough does not get rid of your sins. You're still going to hold your sins. But if we put our trust in God, put our trust in, in Christ, God promises he's going to take away the sins from us and place them on Jesus. He will pay for it by what he does on the cross. However, if we choose not to do that, all the weight of your own sins rest on you. But if Jesus didn't come out of the grave on that particular Easter Sunday 2,000 some years ago, it doesn't matter. You're still in your own sins. That means your sins cannot be forgiven. And we still have to deal with them ourselves. Which means one of these days we're going to stand before a holy, righteous God and have to give account all the things we have done, all the things we have violated His holy standard, whether it's in word or deed, a mission or commission, meaning we chose to sin or it was by chance we just did some sin. We will stand before God with all of our sins if there is no resurrection of the dead. How many of you want to meet God knowing that He's got a list of all your sins? Oh, Katie wants to? That's, that's an April Fool's mom right there. <laughs> Sorry. You couldn't help, yeah. I, but do you really want God to say, okay, let's go over all of your sins, and he licks the pencil and he gets ready to mark them all down? That, that's, I don't want that. I don't want a pure and holy God to start putting up on a jumbotron in heaven all of my sins before all of creation. I still remember when I took the step of faith, proclaiming my faith, repented of my sins, and was baptized. I remember it. It was in a, in a little church building, smaller than this one. And I'd been to church camp that summer, and I talked to my parents, and I wanted to be baptized. I was raised in the church, have been in church all my life. I have told many of you that in my youth I had a drug problem. Whenever the church doors were open, I was drugged there, no matter what. That's just the way it was. But you know, I had a lot of preliminary experiences with God, as most children do in VBS, in Sunday school. In 6th and 7th grade, for the first time, I started to take it personal, the implications of the gospel, and made to what, and took it, and I believe the meaning of the decision to trust Christ, knowing I needed to make that decision. And I have to tell you, when I did that, I didn't have an emotional response. Um, I, I went, in, went in and got baptized. My dad got to baptize me, and I came up out of the water, and I started wiping my eyes, and my mom thought, oh, he's such a cute, tender kid. He's crying. No, there was slime on the water, and I didn't want that in my eyes. And I just thought, I'm real now. I didn't have a real emotional response at that time. I didn't run around the house with my hands up high seeing you or anything like that. But what I do remember, and it's interesting that after all these years, I remember this. I remember that when I came out of that water and after I wiped my eyes, I felt like the weight was gone. Like this, this weight was lifted off me. It was the weight of my sin that I didn't even realize how heavy it was and I was carrying. 
It's a strange thing because I don't get all that emotional about things. I've seen other people who do. I just felt lighter. I felt free. Free of the burden. Because it was no longer on me. For the first time, I realized that not only did God love me, that Christ had died for me, that He'd taken all my sins off me, but then I saw it, felt it, and knew it that my evil, my sins, were placed on Him. And I was just kind of in awe. It was a few months later, I actually sang a special at the church, just in case I'm not doing that anymore. Okay? Don't ask. Uh, but I sang this song, and, and I remember because I could still remember that that knowledge and that feeling of the weight lifted. I was looking at the crowd, and as I sang, I just started looking higher and higher until I was staring at the peak of the, the room. And I didn't care if anybody heard me at that moment. I was singing to Him because of my weight. was gone. I finally knew it. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us here. Three days later, he did come out of the grave proving beyond any doubt that He is who He claimed to be, the Son of God, to able to forgive our sins. Paul is teaching us the reason of our faith. It is not useless. There is a real reason for this faith. Anybody who says that you need faith as a crutch in this life doesn't know what it's like to carry the weight of their sins. You know what? I'll take a crutch. And if my crutch is Jesus, then I am excited because that's the only way I can truly walk in this world. Everybody else is going to be crawling by the end of the world under the weight of their sin, but I don't have to because I get to lean on Jesus. Christ is not risen from the dead. Our faith is futile. We carry our sins by ourselves, but we don't do that. Let's, uh, third, if there is no resurrection, our profession of faith is, a, is false. In verse 15, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. The book of Acts. Uh, a couple years ago, we went through the whole book of Acts. It is the birth story of the whole church. It begins primarily with the ascension of Christ on the day of Pentecost and how the church in Jerusalem began to grow. The Bible says that that first service they ever had, Peter stood up and preached along with the others, and over 3,000 people were saved. And if you study the historical documents that go along with this period of time, you'll learn that in the early church in Jerusalem, there was probably around 100,000 members of the church in just a few weeks. Let's just pause for a moment. I've heard many people say, well, we can't have that type of big church. God doesn't work in that. Really? 3,000 people baptized in one day, and within a few weeks, over 100,000 people coming to church. I want to be a part of that church. That's a church of people saying, I know Jesus is the Lord. I know He's risen from the dead. And my life is based on that. And because of that, I'm going to tell everybody I can. That's why it grew. It's a separate sermon, so let's get going. The church at this point exploded. And it exploded for two reasons. This is why the church grew. First of all, because of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and filled all those leaders with the, um, with the Holy Spirit. They were preaching. They were preachers. And everywhere they started preaching and kept on preaching the gospel. They didn't just do it once. Whenever you read 
If you look at the, the, the book of Acts, they preached daily. They were constantly telling about this. There are 19 sermons in the book of Acts, and every one of them is about the same thing. They're about the resurrection of Jesus. Every sermon pointed to the resurrection of Jesus. And you may say, well, why would that be true? Well, I'm going to show you just a couple places. If you look and don't understand why this is such dynamic in our lives, we've got to get this. In Acts 2, 22 and four, uh, a couple later. People of Israel, he says, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Notice, as you well know, because you were there, you're eyewitnesses. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. And really, the Greeks should say this. And along with Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross. You killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. Jump down to verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of that. Every sermon in Acts talks like this. When Peter finished preaching, over 3,000 people were saved. This Jesus, God has raised up, whom we are all witnesses over and over again. You're going to see this phrase, with Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus of Nazareth, who you killed, God raised from the dead. And if our sermons, our teachings don't promote that, we're not really believers of the faith. He spoke these words again. He says, but you denied the Holy One. And the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead. After the supernatural escape from prison, uh, Peter got to leave. This is um, the God of our fathers raised Jesus up, whom you murdered. He just was in prison for preaching, and then he goes back and said, You murdered him, and yet we are his witnesses of he who God raised from the dead. The apostles knew Jesus was the Son of God, and Jesus was raised from the dead. They'd seen him in his resurrected body. These are the apostles who had seen him hanging on the tree, so dead that the soldiers didn't even have to break his legs. They had seen his limp body taken down from the cross, and hundreds of pounds of spices rolled on the fabric in which he was going to be entombed. They saw him lay the body on the cold stone, limp and lifeless. And then on Easter, they saw that same person, undeniably identified by the prince in his hands and his feet. They saw him walking around in the resurrected body, and they couldn't help but tell everybody what they knew. Put yourself in their shoes. They had known Jesus before his death. They had seen his brutality in his death. They saw his weak body. They saw him after his death, walking around, resurrected, Son of God. Everywhere they went, he is risen. He is risen. Are we doing the same thing? Now, I, I really enjoy Dustin up here leading the group in, in worship. I, I like all of it. None of us should be inviting people to come see Dustin. 
Nobody should be inviting anybody to come here, Donnie. We should all be inviting people to come see the risen Lord. We should all be coming and saying, hey, I know this. I am a witness of the fact that he is risen. Here are the sins I was bearing, and here they are gone. Here's what Jesus did before I met him. Here's what he did after I met him. And now I'm living this way. One pastor uh, said that if the, the apostles, the prophets, and the New Testament writers lied about this, about Jesus being raised from the dead, if they were really false witnesses, why should we believe anything else in the Bible? If they went around telling everybody Jesus is alive and yet he wasn't, if they're not telling the truth about the resurrection, why should we believe anything about what they say you should do to be a good person? It's not like you can set the resurrection over there, way over there, and say it's optional as a believer. You don't get to do that. If you don't believe in the resurrection, everything else in Scripture falls apart. Because everybody who is part of that story, who witnessed it, who was there, they hinge their entire life on it. These are the people who have written to us the instructions on how to live as Christians. These are the apostles, the witnesses of the resurrection. Paul says if Christ is not risen, then we're all false witnesses. Paul is teaching us that the resurrection is foundational to our faith. Here's the fourth thing that Paul wants us to know. If there is no resurrection, our promise for eternity is void. It's not valid, counterfeit, a fraud. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then there is no salvation. Verse 18. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Some translations say it this way. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Let me hit that real quick. Paul's not talking about the kind of sleep that some of you do in sermons, okay? Had to see who was awake there. He's not talking about sleep. He's talking about any a very long, eternal sleep, physical sleep, um, a metaphor for death. Sleep is often used as that metaphor, and Paul is talking about dying here. He is telling us that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then those who are died, it's over. Done. If Jesus didn't come out of the grave, then nobody else can either. If the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus didn't conquer death, there's no hope that we will ever get to heaven. That's just the truth of it. I know that one day I'm going to see my grandmothers in heaven. I know this. I know this because they trusted Jesus. They believed in the resurrection and gave all their hope into him that he would take their sins away. I know I will see them. I know I'll see others that I've known and been close to over the years who have gone to be with God. They are in heaven. My hope for heaven is based on what Jesus did, not based on what my grandma did. And I want to see my grandmas. I really do. I'd love to have another hug from them. I'd love to be able to hug them and smell grandma. I mean, you can't, it's just what grandma smelled like. But more than that, I want to see Jesus. And after I see Jesus, I want to tell my grandmas, thank you for making sure I saw Jesus. My hope in heaven is based on what Jesus did. When he came out of the grave, when Jesus came out of the grave, he put his foot on the neck of death and he broke it. Death is broken because Jesus broke 
death. He conquered it. He did that so that I can have hope over death based on His resurrection. And one day we're going to have to be raised from the dead. What Paul is teaching us is the purpose of the resurrection. It's not just a good feeling. It's not a fairy tale. This is a real thing. If there's no resurrection, then your faith is futile. If there's no resurrection, our professions of faith are false. If there's no resurrection, our promise for the future is void. It's very bleak. What if? Here's the last one. If there's no resurrection, our expectation for life is a fantasy. Now, first of all, i got to tell you, I like sci-fi stuff. There are some people in here who wouldn't, they would do a whole lot to avoid sci-fi stuff. I like sci-fi. It's, it's kind of this weird, cool, spacey, it's, it's neat. I like it. You don't like it, you're wrong in the head. That's how I feel, Okay. But you need to know this, all you sci-fi freaks out there. It's not real. Okay? We were just talking earlier about lightsaber battles and how we would play around and do this. And one kid goes, what if you cut off their legs? They're already dead. My answer was, the lightsaber cauterized the wound. They're not bleeding. But you know what? It's not real. It's fake. It's fantasy. And if there's no resurrection, our hope for heaven just as valid as sci-fi. The resurrection not only is about the past, but it's about our future. It's about the here and now, and it's about heaven. Listen to what Paul says in verse 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. Now really think about that for a moment. In this life, this life in which we live right now, only this life, if we have hope in Christ and there is no resurrection, then you are the most pitiful person in all of history. That's a very bold statement. In other words, if we don't have Christ, our resurrected Lord, as our hope, even though with current things that are going here, doesn't matter. If Jesus is still in the grave, you are a pitiful person. Who would believe such an outlandish lie? That, that's what it's saying. We, uh, our daughter, when she grew up, she loved The Little Mermaid. She loved some of these other Disney things. She believed she could talk to animals. She would bark at the dogs and then tell us what they said. But here's the thing. She grew out of that. My boys used to do some of the same things. I've seen other kids here do the same things. But eventually we grow out of that fantasy and we have to live in reality. Well, let me give you a little reality check. If you are still holding your sins, you're going to hell. If you do not believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, you are not a Christian. If you have given your faith to Christ, if you have given your sins to Him, professed Him as your Lord and Savior, if you place all of your life on Him, then you are a child of God and you will live in eternity forever. These are the facts of faith that are found in Scripture. If all I am living for is here and now, then it is a waste and I am to be pitied. I need something more powerful in my life to hinge on than just what's tomorrow. I need to know that my life is meaningful, that I have purpose. We have so many people in our culture right now that have no idea what they're for. 
I don't know what my life is. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if I have meaning. And we're searching through all these things. It's right here in the Bible. That's where it's at. You want to know who you are and what your purpose is? Quit looking out there. They're going to change in the next four years. Completely. How many of you read the article that eggs are bad for you? Then you read that eggs are good for you. Then you read only the egg whites. Then it was just the yolks. And then eggs are so expensive, nobody ate them. You know what? They're going to change all of it. But yet Scripture has not changed. It is still saying that you are a sinner. You have betrayed God. And yet, in spite of all that, He loves you. He loves you so much. He came to the cross. He takes your sins away. He took them to hell for you so that you can go to heaven. Someone has said that when you become a Christian, you can cast an anchor into heaven and it's twirling around the throne of God until that anchor finally pulls you home. I like that because there was a time I was on a boat and we lost the oars. So you know what we did? We took the anchor and we threw it as far as we could. And when it hit the ground, we started pulling on the anchor. And guess what happened? The boat started moving. And we did that all the way to shore. When you become a Christian, you throw your anchor, your lifeline, your support, your security, and it lands in the throne room of heaven. And no matter the whirlwinds of this planet, no matter the storms of this world, you're secure there. And all you have to do is keep pulling up because the other end is held by Jesus. Every day, we need to realize that we are one step closer to eternity. If you don't have a connection to what comes after this life, then you are living in a whirlwind that's going to end in death and destruction. If we don't have a future with God, then all of this is meaningless again. The reason my life has meaning is because even though right here I have issues, there are troubles, there are difficulties, even though there are all these problems here, I am not living for this. I'm living my life for something beyond death. My life has meaning because of eternity. My life has meaning because Christ gave it meaning. I'm going to be with Him. One day I'm going to spend eternity with God. And everything I do on earth is supposed to be pointed at that. Now I'm still learning as I grow in Christ. I am not a perfect guy. I still mess up, and I do not want you to keep a list of those. Because here's the thing. When I gave my life to Christ, He took that list and threw it away. When I get to go to heaven, He's going to go up and say, Oh, Jumbotron, let's see Donnie's sins. And it's going to be Jesus' face. And He's going to say, That's my guy. And I get to go into heaven. It's not based on me. It's based on Him. And because of that, my life, my everything I do here brings meaning and hope because it's pointing to them. If all I am doing is for this world, that's a very pitiful world. It's a very pitiful life. Many of you have proclaimed the same truth. When you find Christ, you find the center of your meaning. Often we've said it this way, when Christ... Uh, when God created you, He built a God-shaped vacuum or a hole in your heart. 
And until God is in that place, you feel incomplete. Something is missing or there's emptiness. And the purpose of Paul's argument is here is this. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then anything as a follower of God falls apart. But I'm glad Paul didn't end the what if here. He didn't end that message on a kind of negative tragedies. He gets through all the what ifs and then he gets through all this. He comes to verse 20. And in this verse, he puts all of it into perspective. It's no longer a what if, but it is a what is. But in fact, Christ has raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. Look what's in this verse. He is the Son of God, is really what he's saying. He has been raised from the dead. So that's all true. All those what ifs, those aren't true, which means the opposite of it. And he's the first of a great harvest of all those. That means there is hope for eternity. Scripture says Jesus Christ is not in the tomb somewhere in Palestine. He is risen from the dead. He is alive. And because he lives, we can live. That's the hope of next Sunday that we're going to celebrate. But guess what? We don't have to wait till Easter. We get to celebrate this every day. That's the hope of the gospel. And without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is nothing to believe into except a fantasy sci-fi. Because a good man who walked on this earth several thousand years ago means nothing if he can't beat the grave. But Jesus did. If Jesus really did what Scripture says He did and what historians have adequately proven He did, if by His own power on the third day He raised from the dead, then Jesus walked out of that tomb victorious. And if He said, because I live, you shall live, it is worthy of us to stop the living for this world and put our, our trust, our life into His hands. Don't miss this point. Paul is teaching us that Jesus is risen and He is living. And this is the cool thing about the Greek here, because it's, it's this perfect uh, future tense. It means he is alive now, and he is continually living all the way into the future eternity. It's not that he was alive. He is risen. That's the perfect. And he is living and alive forevermore. He is the one who said to the sister of Lazarus in John 11, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? What did Jesus mean? He didn't say, fall asleep on this world. Was he saying that if you believed in him, you would never physically die? No, that's not what he was talking about. He just presided over the resurrection of Lazarus. What Jesus was saying that we need to understand is we need to bring this truth into our hearts and our minds today that there is life after this death. And I'm not talking about ghosts or spirits and that stuff because those are all demonic things. I'm talking about the real life, that there is real life. Just as we're born physically, one day we'll die physically. When we are reborn spiritually, then we get to live without the fear of spiritual death. Because that's how God designed it. Here's how it works. Death is simply a word that means separation. When we say somebody has died physically, we mean their soul and spirit has departed from their body. It's, it's an empty shell now. Their soul and spirit has departed, separated. In the New Testament, one of the writers says, absent from the body means to be 
Present with the Lord. That's right. Spiritual death is a separation much more serious. Spiritual death is the separation of your soul from God. Spiritual death is hell. No God. He's not going to come comfort you. And just as we are born physically, we need to be born spiritually. Jesus Christ went to the cross and was resurrected from the tomb so we could have that new life in Him. And that new life begins. We are spiritually born when we put our trust in Him. When we lay down our our whole faith in Him and give Him our lives. When we die, we are buried to our sins in the waters of baptisms and then we are raised up like He was raised out of the grave. We are born again. Jesus said it in John 3, 3. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, and he's talking spiritually here, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot. If you are only born once, you have to die physically once, and ultimately you die forever. But if you are born the second time, then you supersede over that physical death. The message of the gospel. And you can see how pivotal the resurrection is here. Because He came out of the grave victorious over death, He canceled death's power over us so that one day we can live like He is living now. Sometimes we have to just stop and quit looking at all the things of this world, this temporary world in which we live, and get a long, long look at Jesus. You know why the disciples were so good, the apostles were so good at preaching and talking about Jesus? Because they kept looking at Him. They kept their eyes focused on Him. And then they kept pointing everybody else to Him. Remember that Jesus overcame the grave. And why did He do it? He did it for you. He went to the cross for you. And then He rose for you. So that He could take you to be with Him forever in heaven. And if He can do that, I've heard many people, and I'm one of them, who says, man, I've sinned so much. You don't know what I've done. You don't understand how bad I have been. Jesus came back from the grave. And that means there's nothing too hard for Him. That means your past, your sins are nothing because He beat death. He is the only one who ever faced death square in the face and overcame it by His own power. Jesus says this to you and me, if you'll put your trust in me, you can be victorious over death Yourself. That is the message of Easter. That's why I love to preach. It is the most liberating truth that you're ever going to hear. That the resurrection is not only true, but it applies to you and me. That the resurrection of Christ is not only true, but it affects me and opens the door into heaven. And we need to start living like the resurrection is not only something we read about in Scripture, but is true and it affects us. Next week is Easter. We get a Sunday where the whole world gets to notice that we're going to stop and look at this. But wouldn't it be even better if Easter was just the pinnacle of a whole year of already looking at it? If we started today and showed everybody 
what it means to live like the resurrection is pivotal and a priority in my life. You want to know why over 3,000 were saved in one day? You want to know why over 100,000 started in that church within a few weeks? Because they were looking at the resurrection and they based their life on it. And if we do that, then the promotions, the school, the sports... All these other things fade into their proper place, and he becomes our pinnacle. And then people will say, I want to go there. I want to see what they see. I want to live like they do. Because we're living the new life. I fail at the new life so many times. I am a broken, sinful man who has a wonderful, risen about you? Are you a broken, sinful person? And stand up if you have a wonderful, risen Lord. Stand up on it and then live it out there. Stand up on that truth that He is alive and your life is changed on it. And take it out there, not here. This is our marching orders. Go tell them. Father, we come before you, Lord, we thank you. God, I thank you so much that you are a God who can and did beat death. That, God, you are one who took my sins and all of our sins and you laid them on the cross so that I don't have to bear them anymore. I thank you for lifting that weight. I thank you for reminding me of that weightless feeling after I was baptized. God, I ask that you'd remind all of us of that. You would call that into our minds and into our spirits. Forgive us when we so often choose the sins of this world instead of the freedom of heaven. And help us this week, God, to live in your resurrection. And as we sing this next song, God, let it not just be from our voices, but from our faith. Let it come from our hearts and our minds as we shatter the darkness of the sin around us. That we can proclaim this to the highest mountain. That you are the Son of the living God, our Lord and Savior. And in Him we pray. Amen.